it's my privilege to talk to you again. In actual fact, it's been an exciting week for me because um, just a few days ago I came back from Armenia where we've had a very powerful day of prayer. And this is very significant because uh, it seems that no other ministry has been able to take this on or achieve this. We achieved it certainly very significantly in Ukraine, and now we've had a breakthrough in Armenia in that uh, although we've been talking to them all this year, at the end, because of the critical situation that's developed, we had to bring the Dare Prayer forward and held it on the 27th of May this year, 19, uh, 2023. And um, very significant. We had to do most of the work at um, just one month's notice, but we still had more than 5,000 people come present in the meeting. It was extremely powerful and has had a big impact on the whole nation. These are very significant issues, particularly because um, individual ministries normally can't handle something as big as this, but God has given us tremendous favor in that we succeeded. Anyway, I'm back to uh, my series of Bible studies, and for those of you who are following regularly, I'm into Hebrews chapter 4. For those who are maybe watching for the first time, I'm doing in these uh, talks, I'm doing a whole series of Bible studies, and um, I've started this time on Hebrews, and I'm now at chapter 4. And I think it would be helpful if you could actually get hold of the earlier ones, put you into context. Anyway, let me just remind you that Paul in this particular epistle is writing to the Jewish people, hence it's the letter to the Hebrews, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. And um, a lot of what he's saying in this is more applicable, this might be quite strange, but it's more applicable to Jewish people than to the church in general, although, of course, it does relate. I'll try and explain. He begins in verse 1 by saying, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of... Oh, by the way, I'm dealing... This time I'm dealing with the authorized version. Just need to let you know. Uh, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now, in the previous chapters, Paul is dealing with uh, what he calls the rest, and it is a period of rest, and as you will see, He's likening it to the seventh day of creation when God worked for six days, and on the seventh, he created a day of rest. Now, you have to understand that's the basic. 
But in actual fact, this is a picture, as we'll see, not only of the seventh day, but the 7,000 years, the period of what we call the millennium. Anyway, let's go into it. He then says we should be afraid lest the promise that's given is such that we can't actually enter into this promise. Because he says in verse 2, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. So now what he's doing is actually bridging the gap between Jew and Gentile. You have to understand that. Because he's saying unto us, that is the Christian generation, the gospel was preached as well as unto them. So the gospel was actually preached in a different way to the Jewish people. Let's see. But he says in verse 2, the word which was preached to them didn't profit them because it was not received with faith by those that heard it. Because in verse 3 he says, we which have believed can enter into this rest, as God has said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although, because here the if is a question. As I've sworn in my wrath, if, this is the question, they shall enter into my rest. Why? Because in actual fact, the works were finished from the foundation of the world. It's very, very clear that God is working to a plan. That plan was foretold right from the beginning. And there is basically no change in God's plans, directions, and purposes from Genesis to Revelation. All that we've got is how it's manifested and how it takes place and how we are part of it. Because he then says, uh, well, he's saying, uh, the rest that he's talking about, which is the millennium reign of Christ, was actually prepared and finished and made perfect from the very foundation of the world. So just as we see that Scripture tells us that Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It says that before sin came, salvation came. Before men came, the preparation was made for the coming kingdom, the millennium. Now let's have a look at verse 4. For he spoke, this is God, it's saying, Obviously, through the prophets, God spoke in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest on the seventh day. Okay? So, the picture is there right from the beginning, that there are six working days, and the seventh is the day of rest. But, in verse 5, in the same place as he's referring to the day of rest, he says, if they shall enter. This is a question. It, it's not if they shall enter in that sense. It's if, 
as a question indicating that not all enter into that rest. I mean, we know that Israel, the Jewish people, never did see the fulfillment. That's what this is about here. And we as believers in the church haven't yet seen the fulfillment of God's promise. In other words, our salvation is only in part. Our salvation is not actually complete. My father always used to teach me that, um, in effect, uh, there is more than one salvation. Yes, we are delivered from sin, praise God, but we're not delivered from the presence of sin. We're delivered now from the power of sin by the blood. And that's the importance of the blood, the blood on the doorpost, the blood of the Lamb. We are delivered from the power of sin by the power of the death of Jesus. But he hasn't yet delivered us from the presence of sin. In other words, we're surrounded by it. You understand? So we're living in a sinful world surrounded by sin, but there is a day coming when we should be delivered from this. That's what he's talking about. So he says, when he's speaking, God rested on the seventh day, and again, he raises the question as to whether people actually can enter into, not the Sabbath, but the, the picture of the Sabbath, which is the thousand-year reign of Christ. So what we're looking forward to is the reign of Christ. So in verse 6, he goes on, saying, therefore, it remains that some must enter, and those to whom it was first preached didn't enter because of unbelief. So that, unfortunately, I mean, he's talking to the Jews here. Unfortunately, the whole question is this, that this very essence of the millennium and the kingdom was preached from the beginning in type, in picture. But unfortunately, at the time Paul is speaking or writing, the Jewish people have not yet found that fulfillment. It's a future. So they didn't find it. Oh, Paul is very clear and very critical, they didn't find it because of unbelief. I mean, this was typified in one way by the 40 years that the children of Israel traveled in the wilderness. I mean, it, that was not just an allegory, it was a literal thing that happened because after only 40 days, they reached the border of the promised land. Only 40 days. The distance, yes, I mean, moving two million people with all the animals and all the equipment wasn't easy, but they still did it in 40 days. And then Moses sent out the 12 spies. You know the story. They all saw the beauty of the promised land. They all saw 
and they came back with a report, a land flowing with milk and honey that was describing the, the plenty. But then they said, huh, but it's full of armies of evil people. How on earth can we go in? And 10 of them were so negative about entering the promised land, only two, Joshua and Caleb, who were faithful spies, said, yeah, we see the same difficulties, but by faith we can overcome. But because of the ten, and the people listened to the ten in doubt, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness till the whole of that generation died. Unfortunately, this, when I say unfortunately, um, this is quite a clear picture because we're going to come up against this. We this is what he's referring to in verse 2, as Paul is. He says, unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached to them wasn't accepted by faith. Look. They were, they were offered the promised land after 40 days, but didn't have the faith to go in and possess it. And there is a danger even with us in the church. And as you will see, even in the message to Christians, there is a danger that people hear and know, but don't have the faith to leave the old and go. It's not easy. It's not easy being a Christian. My life's been hard. Look, I, I've had cancers twice. I've had a lot of other sicknesses. God heals me every time. I've been in prison. God delivers me. I was a sinner. God saved me. No, I'm going into that kingdom the hard way. So he's saying that just as with Israel, only a remnant were able to go in. So he says in verse 6, quite clear, seeing therefore it remains that some must enter, and those to whom it was first preached didn't go in because of unbelief. Oh, the danger is that the generations today are as bad as Israel. Unbelief. In verse 7, again, he limited a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it said today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. In verse 8, for if Jesus had given them rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. So what he's really saying is that Jesus himself, when he came, was absolutely clear in this message that just as Israel had stood on the borders of the promised land and by faith didn't go in, so even at the time of Jesus when he came offering a way of escape, a way of salvation, a way of deliverance, Israel as a nation rejected. The Jews rejected Christ, crucified him. So as Right from the time of David, he's saying, today, if, if, if you don't harden your hearts, you can receive. But then he qualifies it by saying that um, in verse 8, if Jesus had 
given them a rest. In other words, if the kingdom had come in the time of Jesus, and remember the disciples expected it, because the interesting thing is that when Jesus had died and risen from the grave in those in those uh, 40 days, when he's uh, uh, talking to the Jews uh, and to the to the disciples and promising the coming of the Holy Spirit on the 50th day, because he was seen alive for 40 days, that's the significance, but on the 50th day, he said that the Holy Spirit would come and the immediate reaction was to the disciples was, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, when the Holy Spirit is come, is that the moment when we enter into the millennium rest? No, we're still waiting for that. That's what he's talking about. So in verse 9, verse 8, if Jesus had given them that rest, if Jesus had fulfilled the promise 2,000 years ago, there would be no future. And if he had done it, he would not have said that there is yet a day coming. So it's no use us looking back and saying that we're living in a whole new period because Jesus has come and ushered in the kingdom. He's ushered in the kingdom, but we have not yet entered. It's a future that come, hopefully it's not going to be long, because we are now almost 6,000 years since creation. You know, 2,000 from creation to the flood, 2,000 from the flood to the time of Jesus, 2,000 years from the time of Jesus to the present day. So, in verse 9, there still remains a promise to be fulfilled. And this was something which my father was very strong in teaching me, and I don't find this really in teaching in the church, thank God for my father, because he's pointing out that salvation is not yet complete. Don't think that what you've got down here is the full answer. It's not. It's in part the real whole thing that we're looking and waiting for is the kingdom. And, you know, when Jesus is preaching, I study this because I, I, I obviously study the life of Jesus as an evangelist because he's the best evangelist. But the whole point is this, that Jesus spoke more about the coming kingdom, the millennial reign, the thousand years reign, than he did about salvation. So, verse 10, um, he that is entered into his rest has ceased from his own work, as God did from his. Verse 11, let us labor, let us work, therefore, to enable us to enter into that rest, lest any man fall. Now, this is a big warning. It's possible that we can fail, fall short of the glory of God. Come, this chapter is a very difficult one in that it is allowing for the fact that not everyone, even in the church and the believers, will finally enter. Well, Jesus gave a very simple of that, the parable of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. Out of the ten virgins, only five went in. 
So he's saying, let us labor to enter, lest we fall because of unbelief. You know, you can't get away from this, can you? Belief and unbelief. For verse 12, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing it to divide it asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So that even if we supposedly are part of the church, it does not mean that we simply because we're part of a church enter into full salvation. Because God is going to bring us to judgment and disowns the thoughts and motives of our hearts. And in verse 13, neither is any creature that is not manifest in his sight. So in other words, godly and ungodly, we all come before judgment. That's what it's meaning here. There's nobody, no creature that is not recorded in God's sight, in God's book, in God's heaven. All things are naked, opened to the eyes of him that we have to deal with. We have to deal with God, God's judgment, and there's more than one judgment. There's the judgment of un ungodly, there's even the judgment of the righteous, um, which is based our rewards. God knows the thoughts and motives of our lives, and we are to be judged. Jesus refers to it in the parable of the talents, uh, how uh, those with five talents, ten talents, and so on, used them and multiplied them. The one with the one talent buried it in the ground, and everything that he had was taken away. That is servants given talents. And if we liken that in our spiritual experience, the talents are the gifts that God has given us, and the judgment is how we use what God's given us. You get the reward, whether you've got five talents, ten talents, you still get the reward, rulers over cities. But if you've got one and you bury it in the ground, you don't use it, you lose what you had, because that one is taken away and given to the one with the ten. Then he comes on to a new thing in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Verse 15 explains what he's trying to say. He says, we don't have a high priest, which is just a holy man set apart from us, who can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but our priest was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So in other words, the high priest, Jesus, had to come and live here for 33 years, face the same problems, the same temptations, the same weaknesses, yet without sin. And therefore, he is sympathetic to us because he says, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace 
that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. God is aware of our frailties, our weaknesses, and our difficulties. And in the next chapter, which I shall deal with next time, he goes on to deal with the responsibility of the high priest, the earthly one. But here, what he's saying is this, the real high priest is Jesus. But he's not just aloof. Uh, he lived with us, faced the problems with us, faced the temptations, therefore understands the problems that we have. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Uh, there are several sins. You know, I was brought up with the fact that there are sins of commission, sins that you commit. There are sins of omission, sins that you... Paul says, the things that I should do, I do not. And the things that I should not do, I do. And so where is an understanding of this? Because Jesus lived here, knows the life, knows everything about what we're going through. That is why he's able to be a high priest, because he understands us. Oh, what a challenge this is, but it comes back down to having the simple faith to accept the truth, the promise of the word of God. If we don't accept by faith, we are condemned like Israel to wander in the wilderness. Only if we accept by faith did we go into that kingdom. Oh, you need to do what I do and ask God for faith to believe all his promises. And more on this next time. God bless you. My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. When you are committed to and support the gospel, then stand on this promise that when you give to the extension of the kingdom, God will supply all your need. Jesus called it giving and receiving. This year God has given us wonderful opportunities to preach the gospel in Armenia, Georgia and Poland. And we continue to support Ukraine by distributing humanitarian and spiritual aid. For 12 months, our staff have helped the displaced, vulnerable and injured, supplying food and medicines. To make a donation, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash donation. We would like to give you a free gift. David Hathaway's Prophetic Vision magazine is available free of charge. All you need to do is ask for it. This faith-building resource will show you the path to revival in your life and ministry. To receive this free magazine, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash magazine. God has a plan and a purpose for you to fulfill. Through faith, you will see miracles, heal the sick, and your prayers will be answered. In David Hathaway's two new books, A Faith Beyond and 
overpower your inheritance, you will discover that with God, all things are possible. Order these books today. Visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash shop.